What is up, you sexy people? Welcome to Book Record Beer. I will not be identifying anything but people right now because we are talking about some seriously ambiguous sexy stuff. Who's ready for Season 4, Episode 8? As always, I am joined by my good friends and compadres uh one nick gregorio hello everybody this is uh remote show number three right two i believe oh three yeah 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 three 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 first one was just uh good old and he's up next daniel defranco i'm withering away to nothing pa i'm stuck here in this quarantine Oh God, yeah. I um, how we doing, guys? Check it in. Check it in. I feel like we should. This should be a norm, you know. Check in. How are we for this kind of stuff? When you get to see your your people, you don't get to see all the time. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I've I've been walking at least five miles a day. I did two ten mile walks over the holiday weekend. Uh, I got a book launch on Friday. I'm I'm very excited and, and tell doing me something, well. Nick. Do you get 40 steps in under 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? I wish we got to like video. We got to do something with the video feeds on this because his yeah. face just contemplating that and really <laughs> pondering what he did not perceive as a joke for quite no. some time. That was gold. I was like, what? No, what you, were like, you were like, I can do the math. You can fucking do it, Nick. Do the goddamn math. You can do but we it. We all know I can't. <laughs> I was like, who's he kidding? Arcadia University, they um for the listeners that don't know, they they do their forty under forty and uh Nick he made it. He was number thirty nine. <laughs> he made it. Better than number forty, baby. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> and Daniel was disqualified for age. <laughs> <laughs> you know what if if I I made a decision a long time ago that and, and I guess it doesn't really hold any water now because there's no chance I'll ever get on a forty under forty list, but if I ever got nominated for one of those, I would turn it down. Yeah? Yeah, I've got really <laughs> strong negative feelings towards those age based lists. Ooh. Hey fuck you, man. Controversial. <laughs> nice. I mean you didn't I, you didn't apply for it, Nick, did you? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, they just—it's a yeah. thing that's an honor. That's, like, it's not an honor. It's a thing that's thrust upon you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody—you are this old, me, and nice. now you get this thing. Well, you know, it's always, as they say in the biz, is nice to be nominated. I'm sure. Um, oh, the treat! I love that that picture of you no longer <laughs> resembles you. <laughs> Which is at all. Oh, dude, it's so funny. I saw it pop up and I literally almost clicked like away and I was like, oh, no, that's his fucking author photo from uh, from the grief. Ten years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, it looks like it was 10 years ago. I feel like I'm 10 years younger than that photo. (laughs) Uh, This is a Daniel DeFranco cast, if ever there were one. Oh, yeah. Um, Sexy and sad. Sexy and sad. Yeah. In a nutshell, I can get behind. How that. did 
how did I find myself in this gigantic walnut? Um, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I gotta say, man, it's so funny. Both of these things, I thought I had an idea of, because I had engaged with either the author or musician Let, a little bit. Let's, let's let's introduce that to the audience. Well, how, uh, what were you right, right, talking right, right, about? I know. I, I'm I'm building suspense. Christ, man! You're it's like, like you you're don't like, write stories. Like a, it's like you don't write stories. <laughs> no, you're like a fucking uh, wagon train going around the. Uh, <laughs> you're circling up. <laughs> We just, yeah, yeah. No one knows I, yeah, what's I've, in the middle. I've made too many passes is what you're saying. Yes. I get it. Yeah. Um, so, Daniel DeFranco, you, my friend, you uh, you picked Written on the Body as our as our novel um, by, or novella, if we're going to get specific, Jeanette Winterson, correct? Yeah, novelette. Novelette. There we are. Uh, what? No, it's a novella, <laughs> you dickhead. Um, it's almost 200 pages. Yeah, it's up there. That's it. uh, you. Yeah, but it, it, there's not a lot of text. Like there's, it's quick read. It is I mean, a quick is read. A well, there's this interesting thing that we'll get into that she does, which I really liked. Um, Jeff Buckley's Grace, mm-hmm. as well. Um, and uh, and what in fact is everybody drinking? Because of the remote, we are not unified. Yeah, uh, Gregorio, you have like really good choices. Yeah, I think you have. Yes. So what? So this book I, I read uh, in college, and I loved it, and I read it again, and I continued to love it. But the one thing, the uniting um, factor that came through in both reads, and it should be obvious to those who've read it, is that it's very, very sexy. Very, <laughs> very sexy. Um, and, <laughs> and so I, I picked some, uh, <laughs> I picked some, uh, some sexy uh, beers. I have Neshaminy Creek's Beach Fuzz. Which is a Belgian style wheat ale with peach. Yeah, and where on earth do we find that? <laughs> um, they deliver it. Actually, they sold out, so no more. This is all that's all that's left. Um, Fuck. I also have Levante's tickle parts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then that's the best to one, yeah. bring up to bring up the rear. I've got. Uh, <laughs> I've got uh, Susquehanna Brewing Company's uh, strawberries and cream ale. Very oh, sexy yeah. fruit. Very sexy fruit. Oh, <laughs> uh, speaking of which, R.I.P. Little Richard. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting segue, but I, I agree with your sentiment. Yeah, tutti frutti. <laughs> Already, yeah. No, it's just very recent, and it hasn't happened. It's happened in between the cast, and I want to give a shout yes, out. Yes, it is. That's true. To that's those true. musicians. Uh, so let's move forward. Um, if I were to introduce these gentlemen, uh, the unfortunate thing that, dear listener, you may not know is that uh, Jeff Buckley passed away quite young. He drowned as a, uh, as as a superior. I I mean, wait, was he twenty seven? I actually thought he was, and then I was like, oh my no, god, no, he, he was thirty. Thirty, drowned when he was thirty. That to me. Out of all the like, going when you're young, much or drug overdoses in the second, third, asphyxiation, whatnot, um, drowning terrifies me, and and that's a thing that has always stuck with me about about Jeff Buckley is is he went in this way that when you listen back to his music, I don't know it it, it colors my listens. I mm-hmm. don't know if it does yours, but it colors my listens. So I'm going to introduce these guys as um, as artists who have gone 
Too early, too young. Daniel DeFranco. Lay it on You, me. my friend, are Mark Bolin. You may know him from T-Rex. He was the uh, lead singer of, of T-Rex. Uh, <laughs> he was quite the glam man. Um, I chose him because what many people don't know is that he is uh, something of a polymath, uh, and he dabbled in a number of different things. And to me, my friend, you, uh, you're like a Mark Bolin. You're very, very assured. And, uh, you know, if something doesn't work out, you pivot and you do what you got to do. He was trying to be a musician from the gate. Then he pivoted and he was a model and an actor for a bit. And then he went back and crushed shit with uh, T-Rex and, and various different, um, you know, uh, uh, what the hell am I trying to say? I want to say duets, but like uh, he would collaborate with a number of people, did, Eric Clapton, David Bowie, et cetera, et cetera. How did he die? He uh, he passed away at 30, and I believe he was one of our car accident guys. Oh, yep. Okay. Tra- traffic collision, yeah. Um, he he went he went by vehicle. Uh, much like a Dwayne Allman, you know. Nick Gregorio. Lay it on me. Cliff Burton. My friend. Oh hell yeah! One hell of the, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be excited. <laughs> Cliff, yeah, you know that what dude I, ripped. So he did fucking rip, man. Uh, one of the remember um, blockbuster and like Suncoast video and stuff would have that like there was like the porno rack, but then there was yeah, like the that. middle rack that was like you probably shouldn't, but you could. But you probably shouldn't, right? <laughs> like Faces of Death, I think was back with the porno. But like this, like <laughs> like like certain like like the Woodstock tapes because they had nudity and like different other things were in this other like purgatory for videos. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so we, me and my buddy, went in and he had a fake ID when we were in like sixth grade and he got Cliff them all. Um, and nice. I don't know if you've seen that, but that's a uh, it's pretty much. All the live gigs that were filmed for Metallica. If anybody doesn't know, Cliff Burton was the bassist for Metallica for a stretch of time in the 80s. Um, he was unfortunately crushed at 24 by a by the tour bus because presumably the uh, driver, though it hasn't ever really been proved, I don't think, was drunk and flipped the bus. He flew out the window and then was crushed when the bus kind of flipped on top of him. Um, he, w- he was one of, I think, the greatest musicians of that era, like Randy Rhodes, I would I would always throw in with him. Um, he he was it, it was just a fantastic basis. So they I, I watched Cliff them all when I was real young, and I was blown away at the musicianship. And he actually listened to every genre, much like uh, both you guys actually. But I know Nick, you do as well. Though you lean heavily towards the heavy, the metal, the hard punk, and stuff like that. Um, so I thought Cliff would be a good guy for yeah, you. buddy. No, that's awesome. I loved him. And he, 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 like when, when he died, Metallica was never the same band nope. from like a Sonic standpoint. Like they yeah. just were not the same. Well, cause, cause Lars, they got um, and what's his name? Can't, uh, can't fuck you, Daniel. That's <laughs> they, not true. They, they never match Kirk. Right. So like Kirk Hammond is on his own right. plane, but, but, uh, a, a fucking cliff was with him. You know, and I felt like mm-hmm. they, he evened them out because the other two dudes are pretty much garage band dudes. You know, like Lars yeah. and um, 
What the fuck? James Hetfield. James. James Hetfield. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Um, those that was before I mean, he did all the yeah stuff with his yeah. voice. <laughs> before he took a load. Jesus. Yeah. All right, so yeah. Nick, Nick Mahalik. Let's get off of Metallica. Um, yeah. Damn it. <laughs> uh, if I were to introduce you as a too soon departed musician, I'm going with uh, the Big Bopper. Hey! Because you're bombastic, you're a musician. Thank you. Thank you you uh, started this podcast, uh, and he was right. a he was a disc jockey. Right on. And um, <laughs> uh, that's it. That's kind of it. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. <laughs> That's the show. I'm gonna uh, and, see Any love? Any and 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 for your uh, deep, uh, you you're always singing Chantilly Lace. Like <laughs> I don't think we've ever hung out. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't. I haven't busted that out. Yeah, I. You know, it's funny. The the big bopper is one of those like originators too, and, I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put that feather in my hat, whether you intended it to be there or not. Oh no, he was he had a uh, bopping around the clock. He had the big bopper bops again. <laughs> Return of the bop. <laughs> bop V two point oh. I don't I don't right. I don't think I'm lying about those um albums. <laughs> <laughs> I love how everything was just like everybody talks about things like being on brand and how like weird and fucked up that is now that like we have brands for people and shit. Like that's all people were if you were in showbiz yeah. back in the day like that's it like you couldn't be anything else chuck berry had i, I think he's got oh, i'm sorry chubby checkers uh has probably 20 different versions of twist songs <laughs> yeah yeah you just you, <laughs> yeah. you found your thing and you fucking did it um all right so let's let's jump yeah. in daniel i'm leaning uh heavily on on you for these frankly because i know Jeff Buckley for sure is is your dude. He's my fucking um, guy. But but also like this story to Nick's point I think warrants multiple reads because of frankly the ambiguity that pervades the entire thing and what I was alluding to before that I'd like to talk about to begin is this one has all these different just like bits thrown in from like seemingly academic research to like various mm -hmm. like asides you know um and i really i love that i i love the the just like i don't know shaking the reader a little bit yeah bringing them back it felt like those pieces were actually easier than than the, the, the than the 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 narrative as it stood you know yeah. Um, so I was wondering what you guys thought about that choice um, for the for the writer, because she I don't know, man, like that, that like like it was kind of like the um, story of X. Book know? of the Book of X. Yeah. Book of X. I'm sorry. I keep doing that. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like Book of X where you'd have. But in Book of X, it was very formulaic and the breaks were at points where you expected them. And as we mm -hmm. talked about before, that was at times you'd be like. Because you expected it didn't have the same weight as it did earlier. This was, I felt like, far more random. Uh, and when things showed up like that, they were, I don't know, they, they, they just grounded me and, and, and sort of elevated the text in a way that I haven't seen that done in almost any other um, 
piece of fiction. All right, so um, I'll, I'll take over. This is written on the body by Jeanette Winterson. It came out. She's um, a. She's British. wonderful. Yeah, she is. She's British. She's um, very acclaimed. Um, she yeah. is super prolific as well. Yeah, uh, she. Yeah, I was surprised by that. Yeah, she's got a lot of stuff. She's a lot of work. I, I did not stuff. see that. Yeah, I don't know why I thought she was much younger and like newer. I don't know. No, yeah, she came on the scene as a young person, I think in the eighties. Um, uh, but that was thirty something years ago. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so a couple of reasons I picked this book um, is it's Pride Month. I guess in two days by the time you listen to this cast or while you listen to this, which is June. And she is uh, gay, lesbian. One of the letters. I don't know how she identifies. That's a good that's a good one. Yeah. Encompassing. Yeah. The narrator is we don't know the gender of the narrator. And I, I don't even know how important that is or if that's even an interesting conversation. Um, I think it because well, can I just take an aside for that? Let me say that. Let me just because it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Now, as right, as, right, you're right. As you were, you're <laughs> you're absolutely right. Because love uh, is what love. I was gonna, right, but right, but what I was gonna say is a lesser writer would use that thing as the whole thing that the narrative revolves around is that mystery and that needing to know and that choice to never um, identify our narrator as a uh, uh, to never gender them. Mm-hmm. Would be the the, you know the the device yeah. that they'd be using for the entire thing, especially a shorter work like this. They the, a lesser writer would think that it could stand in that way, um, and I and I I was so pleased to see that that was, just a small piece that added to the much larger yeah. Lego castle. And and people always talk about it. And I, here we are. Yeah, they harp on and it. Here you we are talking about it again. Right, but you read how many fucking reviews you you have to note it because just about every review that's the thing that's the first thing that they talk about with this. And I guess it must have been new, but it seems like if you're going to do that, it's cheap at this point. Yeah. And I and, but, but then I guess well, it was a but, thing. And here we are meeting off with this. <laughs> but Well, but let me jump in like, for a sec if I may. Yeah. Like uh, I read this at 19 or 20, I think, and that was before um I I had considered fully the possibilities of uh gender roles um well right yes yes because at that point it was like very much uh uh, man heterosexual that 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 was a norm for me and i'd never had the right way uh right place to be able to consider um other the other so to speak and this that portion of the book at 19 and 20 um opened my eyes to a to to the world the actual world as it is not just some ridiculous uh set of standards Mm -hmm. well i think one of the big things that that makes it worth mentioning is what we're now seeing and she was bringing to light in the 80s and now is sort of like not necessarily common knowledge but that there's this sexualization of uh you know, sort of like female on female love, right? This this sort of like this sapphic fetish that exists where that would be like um, su- su- super, super sexy in, in, in all these ways in like a heteronormative society. And 
she's fucking with you because she said, I mean, I kind of read it as if you, if that's what you're hoping and that's what makes it more sexy for you. Well then, Hey man, that's a little bit fucked up. You know, like why do you, why do you think that way? You know, that's, that's, that's actually not too fucking cool. Um, because then it purports these different stereotypes and, and, and ways of thinking that, that are actually sort of like fundamentally detrimental to people who identify that way because th- that, you know, makes things really fucking awkward, <laughs> you know, among other things. Um, not that I'm with productive. you. So I, I agree no, with I'm you. I'm with that you if, there. Uh, right. It does almost seem like, yeah, it seems almost like a trick um, if somebody was a lesser writer. Yeah. And yeah. I don't like that it's like one of the first things you see on the back of the book. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, yeah. I, unfortunately, I don't think she as you guys probably know better than I had a choice with what the fuck showed no, up. No, I'm sh- no, you don't really have much. Yeah. Of a choice. That's the unfortunate side effect of, of publishing with, you know, what the fuck is this? Anybody vintage. Yeah. <laughs> you know had, what I mean? Had that not been on the back, had I not come to this with that foreknowledge, I yep. would, we will probably not be talking about it right now. Would have glazed right over it. Yeah. But everybody yeah. harps on it. So move forward. Right. Continue yeah, on. Move forward. Great. Yeah. Um, shit. Where was our train of thought? We kind of went all over the place for a little bit. But all right. So you were introducing why you picked it. Right. Okay. So because of Pride Month. And I was in the Spiral Bookcase in Maniunk, which um, supports small businesses. Um, and this book was buy some books buy some books gift cards candles from uh, them yeah <laughs> uh this <laughs> book was sitting on one of those little tri trifold thing what do you call those TP oh card. that'll get you every time oh yeah right on the counter every time and the cover is sexy at least my edition what, what edition do you guys have what are you working with same as yours same nice all right um so right away that that kind of grabbed me and i was talking to the the, the bookseller and I read the back, and I was like, oh, this this kind of sounds a little bit like James Salter's um, A Sport and a Pastime. And she was like, oh, yeah, it's a lot like that. So, mm. and, and, I, and I love that book. And both of these books uh, kind of explore love and relationships in, a, in not a plot-heavy way. Um, right. And more of like the a, language is incredible. Yeah, it's just it's they bring a realness to the moment that it's like fuck that is exactly what it's like without it feeling hacky. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, yes. Like there's been ton of book, tons of books written like that just they they bludgeon you over the head with the, the point that it's trying to make. Um, and this doesn't do that. It just stands on its own as as this uh, almost lament about love. I mean, I, I mean, it, it makes that love like this hallucinatory, hallucinatory headspace, and it's fascinating. And it, may, it does make it so real, and you really get sucked under its spell. The writing is some of the most beautiful writing I've I've ever read. Yeah, D- yeah and yeah. It, it it might be that I was just you know smoking ribs this past weekend that the that that i i am you know equating it to this but it really felt like the being in sort of like a whirlwind of of like very uh, 
pungent smoke mm-hmm. and it, and it's not but it's not stinging your eyes and it's and it's not making you cough but you're in this thing and you're trying to make sense and every once in a while there's there's like a, a little bit of clarity a thinning of it and you get it and then and then and then you're right back in it but you but you want to be in it and you want your hair to smell like it and you you want your clothes to reek when you're when you're out yeah it's, and it's that, the haze of uh yes yeah. that's a better yeah. word yeah it, yep. it, it feels like it feels like as you're in it you're in a blissful but like difficult haze so because i'm sorry right yeah yeah I, well i mean my my point is 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 really that it's it's complex but not hard yes exactly so let me let me i guess we'll just jump right in so this story is uh this book is it's not a plot driven book it's about um Fuck no. our nameless genderless narrator who falls in love with Luis, who is married mm-hmm. and they decide to be with each other and um and then they for i, I don't know how much we want to give things away it's a 35 year old book we uh we could probably <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i think we can spoil it we can we can note the 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 profession of the the lovers louise's uh husband is is he's a cancer research doctor yeah. correct Yes, yeah, so th- and, uh, so things come you know, up and they can't be with each other, and this is um, you know that's Louise is not the first of the narrator's conquest, and I don't want to say conquest; that's the wrong word. No, but, but you uh, could, you lovers, could, right? You could argue that all of the lovers were conquests before Louise. Louise was the real shit. Okay. Our narrator yeah, was not expecting Louise to be who she was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'd agree with you, or to have the impact that she did, because there is. Like almost an elegy to Louise as the the end of the book, you know. This, um, this book is an elegy to Louise. Yeah, right. you could you could make that. Yeah, absolutely. What I think that I really enjoyed about this, and this was another point I was going to ask you guys um, to see if you felt the same, was that this book challenges our ideas of safety, mm-hmm. safety as a reader, and safety as a fucking human being who loves and wants to love. Because the chance is, is that who you love, someone else might love too, and be able to love better. Oh and, yeah. And and th- yeah. this, th- that idea of safety, for me, it never gets fucking. I I literally that that was the thing that struck me most. And in reading uh, reviews of the book and different things, like it never came up, and I was really surprised by that because, just in form and the way that it's written, it challenges. Your your how safe you feel because when you open a book you have an expectation but mm-hmm. this does not follow that expectation um, in a number of ways and I think that's why people harp on the genderless narrator because that's the thing that they can say you know because they they get that it's a genderless narrator but there's a lot that you also don't get and that's sort of like the easy thing you don't get right but there's a lot of choices that get made here that break convention and form. And 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 really upset your feelings of safety as a reader. You're now you're now swimming in this fucking thing that you 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 actually don't ever really have the foothold that you'd want. And then the content is yeah, and maybe the fucking person you love ain't gonna be around because they're fucking somebody else because you just don't fucking cut it, man. Like you're not, you know, somebody <laughs> somebody else just and that's but that's so fucking real. Or there's you know I mean? or or. Or things come up that drive people away that have nothing to do with love. Right, 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 right. right. You know? Absolutely. Not to, not to, yeah. Right. 
You're right. Um, so um, there's this one part in the book that you just um, just made me think of with, with that uh, actually very good point you made. So our narrator tells Louise, she says, I love you, like early on in the relationship. Because they're shockingly early. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, <laughs> their shit is just... But Given what we know about the narrator to start, you know? I mean, yeah. You know, she's, that surprised me. The, the narrator is, you know, a six-month relationship person. Just burns mm-hmm. for six months, and then it's like, ooh, that was kind of a, you know, I've had enough. Yeah. But so she tells Louise that she loves her, and Louise is like, don't... I'll, I'll, I'll read exactly what she says. Uh, <laughs> she says, fuck you. Don't, 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 <laughs> just don't. Yeah, that's not... Don't. Um, she says, she stroked my hair. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is fuck you. <laughs> Go for it, do it, do it. Pull, Thanks. pull the rug Thanks. right out. <laughs> um, Louise says, uh, "I'll read the whole passage because it's, it's beautiful." She stroked my hair. I want you to come to me without a past. Those lines you've learned, forget them. Forget that you've been here before in other bedrooms and other places. Come to me new. Never say you love me until that day when you have proved it. How shall I prove it? I can't tell you what to do. Fuck, like that is the whole whole book is her trying to figure out what to do. No one can tell you what to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, I I mean, I, I really, I was struck by at the end the urgency to want to reread it whereas most and i would consider this modern even if it's fucking as old as me i i i am so often disappointed by not having that urgency when i finish a book anymore mm-hmm. i mean the the amount of times i finish a book and i go well i'm never gonna fucking read that again yeah that's <laughs> a waste to me even if it was great you know what i mean that 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 there's something about that, and I think I keep it on too high a pedestal. But like, even so, I, I this I was like, oh fuck, I can't. I'm gonna need a fucking few laps, yeah, to before I can get well, back in. But I, I definitely, when I'm ready for it, I'm gonna be excited because yeah. I cannot wait. I felt similarly. See, this is this is one of the books that like you probably only get ten of them in your life that are just transcendent to you as a reader. Uh, as an artist, as a person. And challenging like, too, right? Yeah, yeah. And like make make you really um you could see the world for what it is. And 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 that's that's the biggest piece for me. And that's yeah, like books like this and I, I loved you more. Um like they 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 give you the 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 window is crystal clear into how the world is. Yeah. And it's just it's a perfect transparency. And brutal and wonderful all at once you could stop on any page and there's there's a line or a moment that's like god yeah how do you do that how the fuck do you do it's almost like cobbling together every great journal entry you've ever made and having it be a narrative somehow somehow right yeah really i mean that's how that's how it felt to me because i know i i like to journal quite a bit and and i'll look back and there's a thing there's one thing in pretty much every entry like that but none of them fit, and they don't make any fucking sense with one another. This is like, holy shit! Yeah, let's, I, well, you I, know I'm what? Just, you I'm, know what? I'm, I'm sorry, Daniel. I'm gonna. Sorry. So, so let's talk about this somehow. Um, you mentioned earlier yeah. about um, you said 
you wanted that kind of smell on you, the, the stink of the uh, the ribs, right? Yeah. Um, so some of the somehow of how Jeanette Winterson pulls this off is is how the book is set up. You've got yeah yeah you've got the first arguably two thirds of the book is the story of of our narrator and 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 Louise, and mm-hmm. um, then we have these sections where the body is being dissected and and yeah. described Louise's body. Um, right. You know, from her. Um, I love how we were tiptoeing around that earlier, and now. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not giving much away. Uh, you know, it's the section, the cells, tissues, systems, and cavities of the body. We have, uh, you know, about six pages on that, and right. and then the skin, and um, Jesus Christ, the odd to think that the piece of you I know best is already dead. What the fuck? Yeah. Right. Um, awesome. And then uh, the skeleton, and then to your point, Nick. The senses. She's talking like how yeah. when s- you are absolutely consumed by somebody, how your senses, like all of them are just full. Like there's memories. There's a sense memory of that person in everywhere you yeah. go. Yeah, there, there's an impossibility that I think a lot of people would give up trying to wrangle and and ensnare and then put on a page that there's just a ease by which she does it mm-hmm. that that was really astounding to me like some things are just too f- far out of reach for like we've been saying a, a lesser writer but she somehow either through great dedication to time through profound revelation of experience whatever it might be is able to do it and and uh i um i don't know what did you guys think about though and we haven't really i mean maybe it doesn't maybe it doesn't warrant exploring that much but like so the last you know bit of it is all all that you know section that you just described but like before that there's all these breaks Mm -hmm. does that does that prepare the reader for that end or does that, uh, you know, sort of like work to just ground us for a minute? What do you what do you think of that that choice? I think it's more of a grounding. Um, you just understand the narrator's point of view really, really well. And our narrator is also super. Um, what's the word? I guess intuitive. Like we really, yeah. we really understand Louise's point of view. Like we don't, we are not in the hands of an unreliable narrator. Although that could be called into question. Yeah. That yeah. could be because <laughs> yeah. there's uh, some review I read was was like um, it appears that Louise, through these you know few you know little quotes that they put in from the book, might have been just this complete figment of her imagination and and. I don't think that in any way that, no. this writer is, uh, and she woke up and it was all a dream kind of a writer. You know what I mean? By no. any stretch of the imagination. No. So I think that's bullshit. But like the thing that, that I'm more talking about. I think the intent about, there, if I will, Nick, I'm sorry. If no, I, that's fine. Jesus, I keep it. cutting people up. I think the intent there of that point of view is like, like love exists in these spaces. Mm-hmm. Like you have these spaces that once it's over, it, it, you can almost think like that doesn't even feel like it was real, mm-hmm. Dude, and I totally and agree. That, 
And that is, I think, what the goal was. Yeah, to, to try and do the impossible, which is to put love on a page. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I guess, like, the thing for me was, you know, the, people leave. And, 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 and when it's that intense, they're gone forever, usually. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Physically. But the sensory sort of, like, connection is you were saying daniel that that whole bit that's sort of almost like now a part of your dna i i find it very interesting and and i know i've mentioned a number of times because i'm obsessed with it but like what encodes on your dna is usually trauma do we think love though it seems blissful is actually and could be you know uh labeled as trauma uh yes you know? i mean the first line of the book yes. is, is <laughs> yes <laughs> is uh, let me get it first <laughs> Why is the measure of love loss? Yeah. You don't I know. You're not like I, I it was I guess it was a softball, I apologize. But I, I No, it wasn't a softball. It was, it was, it's a really it's a really good question. Because, and, and that's actually like, that's a great frame to come to this book with. Yes. Yeah, if you yeah, yeah, yeah. if you want to be depressed. When I read this, it was four <laughs> years ago and I it was the summer. It was like June. And uh it was a summer of drinking vodka. And I stayed up for two, maybe three nights sitting at the dining room table. Ellie had gone to bed, and I'm just sitting there in the sort of dark reading this book with just ice cold, for the most part, pints of vodka. <laughs> and for <laughs> my man, the last, the, the last two nights that I read it and finished Tito's. it, I was, I was like crying reading this book. That's the best. Yeah. Yeah, man. And the worst, but like, yeah, mostly the best. No, that's the good shit. That's the good shit. You know, like pe- people ask me, they're like, why do you like such sad shit? It is, I think, to your point, Gregorio, pretty transformative to to have that kind of experience with, I don't know, it just fucks with your reality, a book like yeah. this, you know? Yeah. What it, what it kept on reminding me of is, is, is just like how everything's just a a, a a facade in some way to some degree right and 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 that there's 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 all this facade happening and there's all this lying whether intentional or otherwise there's all this omission mm-hmm. whether intentional or otherwise going on and i think it's 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 just so fascinating to to not feel like she's attempting to tear down that false wall but more so that she's navigating on um, or from a place that has already done it to a degree that she was able to do it. Right. And so if it's, it's like when you talk to somebody and they don't necessarily have a working knowledge of something that you don't know, but they've just come, they're, they're ahead of you in certain realizations and you look back and go, fuck, man, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Like, you knew all that shit then, and and you saw the world that way then. It's like a Matrix-style thing. Yeah, you, you, it's, <laughs> you almost get jealous of, like, someone. It's like, how did you see the world like that before, you know? Um, I think about that all the time. The kids who saw through the rules of elementary school. Yeah. The, the, the kids who, who didn't abide but knew that they shouldn't because it actually was just complete bullshit. Like what we as teachers say 
to one another and then what we say to the class and the expectations and how different they are in those two separate areas. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, just, it's just fascinating to, to think about the ones who are attuned enough to see it in real time because hindsight is one thing, but to see it in real time, I think that's just like, for me, by definition, the mark of genius. The quicker you pick up on shit is just is 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 what separates you from the rest. Well, it's it's being able to pull the veil aside and and see behind it. Exactly. You know I mean? Yeah. Like, like that's that's like a that's a fucking talent and a gift. I think it's more the latter. And, yeah. And to spin off of that, um, this book is and turn it back to the book is. Yeah, we should stay there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we read the book of X. And I think two seasons ago, we read the short story by Carmen Maria Mikado, the, yeah. um, where it was like the lists of everything. It was it something like the end of the world and she was traveling across the country. Um, yep. yeah. So I think a lot like those two stories, uh, this book is a book of catalogs. The narrator is, okay. is just listing. Listing seems so cheap because it's not. Because it's not, it's not twenty six monkeys, it's not. and it's not, you know, no. yeah. But it is your catalog. It is your, it is, it is the narrator's collection of, of past relationships. Of it's their, almost like Dreamcatcher, kind of. Not to, not to be, you know, reductive, but I think it kind of is. You mean this? It's like a Dreamcatcher. Or is there, a, <laughs> or is there a thing called Dreamcatcher that I don't know? That Stephen King's Dreamcatcher. Stephen King novel. Yeah. Mm. I, I think it's I, got aliens in it. It's really good. <laughs> and then, but but there's a moment where there's this there's this there's this cataloging and 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 it's it's um it's a look into the mind as the mind as cataloger, you know, an almost librarian. And and I don't know it, it. Um, if you don't know it, it's not worth me fucking saying it because it's going to seem foolish. But I, I think, Gregoria, you got that right. I got you, baby. <laughs> one of one of us. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd agree with you. I, I think what I just loved is that there was no restraint. Like she just throws in what seems like a script, you know, mm. naked woman, this, that, and the third interior at dawn, whatever. And then you'll get an academic piece and and, and you get these other things. And, and, the, and the cataloging is, is given to you in as many different ways as they feel is the best and most appropriate way to give you that information Mm -hmm. you know like it's 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 all about to your point daniel sense and and feeling and and i think that there's no mistake that it's titled written on the body you know it it, not that it's necessarily a direct reference to spam bauer and that fucking you know whole minimalist approach but like when we're thinking about written on the body it's dealing primarily with the sense and those visceral you know appreciations for these various emotions and feelings and experiences. Let's roll with that for a second. Would you guys argue that memory is a sense? I, w- I think that memory is a, um, a accelerator for sense. So I, I, I think that memory is, is something that is like WD-40 in a fire of sense. You know, like memory can enhance smell, can enhance feeling, can enhance hearing. I was actually going to, I like that. I was going to say that I think memory is a byproduct because it's triggered, right? Mm-hmm. 
you ever like walk by somebody in a in a in a building and get this scent? Yeah, right? and it triggers your entire like you can see a portion of your life play out like a novel or like a flip book. Like there's yeah. animated like little flip books, and 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 it and it and it creates real pain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. real pain that that. You are no longer experiencing that scent, that feeling, that sense, the same way you'll ever feel it again, like the same way you did, and that it's gone forever. And this book, yeah, that's all this book is about. Yeah, and it's, and it's, it's just that building up, and then yeah, 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 and it's like yeah, like memory is the steam that comes off of those experiences, yeah. man. Yeah. That was really fucking profound, and I'm glad I said it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you recognized that. I'm sorry. (laughs) I impressed myself. I was like, oh, I just sexed myself up a little bit here. This guy's got seven (laughs) strawberry fuzz bombs. Looks like I. No, I've moved on to tickle parts, baby. I'm not tickling. tickling. You're tickling your parts, I think. I've written written on my body. (laughs) Memory is this experience. (laughs) (laughs) You're. I mean, you're not wrong. It's. um, That's some. That's some forty under forty shit right there, folks. Yeah, this is why. Bickety bam. This is why he's listed. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I I um I I I always am am I don't know. I get enthralled with certain things, and and memory is one of them. And and I always think like the fascinating thing about memory is that is that we influence it. You know that it's not pure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's malleable and, and, and a memory is really just a memory of the last time you remembered that. So, it, yeah. it, so it's whispered down the lane of your mind. And, and that's, that to me is, is kind of the, the most interesting thing. Cause people are like, you know, you can convince yourself of anything. Yeah. You can convince yourself of who you were and what your past is. You know, you can literally rewrite history. Yeah. Um, and so to yeah, it becomes fully fictional eventually. Yeah, you've written your own fucking legacy essentially. You know, your own legend yeah. is is within your own mind. And I don't know. It's 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 one of those things where with this, there's there's an honesty that seems to me to be in complete rejection of that principle, even though it seems to me that the narrator also recognizes it as truth. Like, yes, I know that, that, that I am making all this. And I think that's why it's worth, I just felt like so many of those fucking reviews of this book and all this stuff is so reductive and, and, and just, just, I I don't know, thin, you know, like to, to, to say, uh, the, the, the narrator is inventing this and it, and it's this meta sort of like, uh, book about fiction and writing fiction just as much as it is fiction and a story can fuck off because I think it's actually a, a little bit more than that. You know, I, I, I don't know that it's, it's writing about writing. I think it's more, you're talking about somebody who is, aware of the power of fiction and choosing to reject the easy outs and avenues that one could take to to craft something 
I don't know that appeals. No, I think that I think it hit it on the head, my friend. Yeah, no, that's that's all good shit. And what you said it you said it all, man. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you said, <laughs> bro. I agree with the thing that you did. <laughs> well, it's just so funny to like I'm staring at Tolstoy's Anna Karenina, mm-hmm. right? And and we're talking about this and the difference is 400 pages and and perhaps 100 years. And also, like, fuck, man, it's actually way easier to read Tolstoy than it is to read this. Mm-hmm. And but I, 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 I just it's it's these it's these different approaches and these and these different recognitions of, of what it means to be a human, be alive and love. So what I what I think the book did really well or, or Winterson, the book didn't do shit. Uh, what Jeanette Winterson did really well yeah. is that she really showed us the newness of a relationship of when you find your person and yeah. um you know we got that muscle that that just wants to make you do the things you know yeah. um and she and louise actually says this to our narrators you know uh i don't the little passes are like don't do the things you think you're supposed to like forget the lines yeah and the book it shows us this kind of unbridled passion in such a new way um and it doesn't seem hacky or scripted yeah and it's that's very very it's tough true. to sh- because when you try to describe something like we rely on cliche because the thing is 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 bigger than us and we don't really have yeah. the language to um dissect it and um yeah, yeah. fuck somehow winterson does it Every goddamn page. That's yeah. The consistency is the crazy, and you forgive writers because you know how hard yeah. it is, and and you're human, yeah. and you realize the difficulty. But somehow she's able to achieve that. You know, almost. It seems like w- without trial. Yeah. Like just, <laughs> just, and, and yeah, man. That that is that is a really a really good point. Like that idea of that newness. And and trying to qualify it without cliche is 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 nearly fucking impossible. And it's so funny to think about like what I kept identifying with is the how you know now I don't know if you guys but like you hear people who are uh, dating or getting into relationships and this that and the third and 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 the games and the and the and the different sort of things. I don't know if you experience this, but like that was something that I never engaged with whatsoever, you know, and sometimes it would end up not being good because you don't play the rules of the game, but love has games that people play Mm -hmm. yet. That's another facade and, and, and it's bullshit. And, and, and it's so interesting to see that this, this seemed and perhaps it's the the context that it is an affair that makes it need to cut to the quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's a great premise. I mean, I think she's brilliant in the way that she sets it up, so that she has to reveal these things. She challenges herself to challenge the reader because the, it is an affair, and you would have like, ooh, okay, they're just good. How are they ever going to navigate this? But. It's like because it's not just lust; it's an affair of more. And yeah, that's, yeah, and and right. like the next day, she's like, "Well, I, I told my husband." 
fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, ooh. Fuck. <laughs> we are in it. Yeah. It's, I just picture like happening? I just picture like like tank girl just putting on the helmet and adjusting the chin strap yeah. and the fucking you know like throwing the ammo across the chest so like well. To, to be fully critical, um, Winterson did write her way out of that by having the husband already yeah. not be interested in his wife and yeah. already be, f- was it, he flew up to Scotland to get covered in porridge and get hand jobs or something? <laughs> like, I forget what it was. <laughs> oh, just the memories. Yeah. I mean, wistful. I like it makes me wistful. The way you... <laughs> The way you say hand job just makes me laugh, and I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> say, say, gave the narrator a hand job. <laughs> gave the narrator a hand job? I don't know. There it is. I'll, there it I'll is. I'll listen back to it. Yeah, but is it's that? Good. No, you know you, there's funny? nothing different about it. It's just good. You say it is right. Is it like Frank on Always Sunny when he says, whores? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think so, actually. I think that's the yes. best comparison. Yeah, I think that's All it. Right. Um, <laughs> it. But it, you know what? It, it, it's it's. I like that you mentioned that. Like, is it writing your way out of it? Or would the whole premise not work? Because you're meant to sort of be operating in the, you know, a presumably mm-hmm. 1980s United States patriarchy that exists, you know? So would the would the premise not work if the man was already not interested? Like, would there be an affair if if if, if everything was cool at home? Well, uh, well, <laughs> I think that kind of shit can happen even if everything is cool. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But, I'm saying, but yeah, I that'd be a different. But she fuck. makes us think about it. Yeah. But she makes us thinking about it. the choices yeah. she makes. Makes us think about the choices that she doesn't. And it doesn't allow yeah. us to fully get into the. Um, What's the word? No limits. That's not the word. The uh, un. Because that's a phrase. Yes. <laughs> and and a T-shirt company from the 1990s. <laughs> so their love is no fear. Their relationship is not contested. It might be a little. Uh, it might get some scorn, but right, them right, yeah. being able to, to be with each other is not being contested. Yeah. But but can their love handle? The weight right. of itself is kind of the yeah the contest. Nice. Uh, God damn it! I think we're of, doing this one right. Speaking fellas. about marrow, <laughs> I think you've torn away the sinew and found it, sir. Took us took us a little while, but we got there. Yeah. Well, we took it through the took us. <laughs> <laughs> you say t- I'm saying we what? went we went in a roundabout way. We went in a roundabout way. Come on. I tried to say it in my sultry voice, but then I laughed. So <laughs> you I don't can't think say coming. took it in the <laughs> took it through the took as in a sultry voice. Come on. Took it through the took <laughs> I guess you can. You can't stand corrected. There you go. Yeah, we went we went we went around that, but um what Yeah, man, there's 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 so much fucking good in this. And there's just there's just a lot. There's a lot to I oh, here's a question and this is really this is actually my the last one I had as a as a bullet like do you have to be a person of a certain age to read the book and I love that I didn't know ahead of time obviously Nick that you read it when you were a teenager I would not have got but this. I don't think I would have gotten 
I, 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 if I were at it at 19, I would have been in the unique state of having been lucky to experience a very profound love by that time. So I, I think I would have understood some, but not all of it. And I would have been frightened by the reality that other people can love the people you love. And I think that's something well, that young people hmm. live in naivety about. Yeah. Well, I think, like I said earlier, I, I think I was enamored mostly when I was 19 about like the surface read that the reviews will give you because sure. I hadn't experienced a book like this. Yeah. Um, I hadn't thought of the possibility of like a, a gender fluid situation. I haven't thought of yeah. the fact that it doesn't matter who these people are. Right. I hadn't thought of any of that. So the and challenge what, was what was what grabbed yeah. you as a young person. Yep. And then the depth is what took hold at 34. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Under 40. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For the re- for the record, um, <laughs> part of my disdain is is also jealousy. <laughs> that's a, hey man, you, that's you don't have to be. <laughs> if there was ever a writer who wasn't jealous of an accolade, no matter how hated, I would be I would be astounded. Yeah. Frankly, I don't I don't I, I don't it want just it. Doesn't, but I'm still jealous. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. I I operate on on predominantly spite and jealousy um that Fueled is by 100 <laughs> like it's just it's just what it is just spite just jealousy and i just want to be like fuck you i did this <laughs> you can you can say that yeah i can and I'm gonna, but i won't i'm gonna say fuck that guy <laughs> that got it. the thing that i wanted <laughs> or that i didn't want yeah. yeah the peat moss that powers me is contrarianism yeah. That stanky bog of yes, that stanky <laughs> bog of contrariness. <laughs> One day it'll be removed and turn into the gorgeous canals of Amsterdam. But right now it's a stanky bog. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we've done a lot in these few minutes, yes, gentlemen. Yeah, we definitely took a step away. I, I'm ready to. I'm ready to move on because yeah. I, I. I could. I could blow this book for quite a while, but my jaw is going to get tired, and I really want to talk about Grace. <laughs> let me. Because frankly, I need let to. Let me. And another thought. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's how I'm just going to cut in for now. Holy just hold shit! A, hold a note. The Sicilian, for those who are unaware, <laughs> is two shots of coffee, two shots of scotch, and one shot of amaretto. Mixed with ice. Ooh, put one out on the steps. I'll be up in 45 minutes. Holy moly. I finished the amaretto this evening, sir. Son of a bitch. Sadly. I would pair this book, Written on the Body, with James Salter's um, A Sport and a Pastime. They are you said. just two sexy, sexy, sad books that'll really just... Uh, <laughs> I just kept rolling. There was technical difficulties, and I was just <laughs> I just kept talking. <laughs> you did it. It, it, it worked. <laughs> his profile picture showed up, and you still heard him in his robot voice. I was just like, oh, fuck. I was, you, I was like, he can do it. If anybody can will himself past, <laughs> past profile pick, it's Daniel. <laughs> well, I didn't know. What, I was like, should I hit stop? I didn't know what to do. Yeah, you did it. You did I it. I did it. Now we're just fucking it up. Continue. Yeah. No, that, I think I think – there's no recovering. Let's move on. My final thought 
is is that the challenge of this book challenges more than just you as a reader it challenges you as a fucking human being and what you hold to be sort of like truths or things that you might not want to accept but somewhere deep you know yeah like the fact that someone can love the person you love you think there's this exclusivity to love and this book challenges that very thing and that i think is just oh it's just so upsetting and great at the same time because it's so real i mean it's amazing how you can feel so confident and just at one with someone and still there's something that you don't want to talk to them about or you feel uncomfortable addressing with them mm-hmm. no matter how in love you are and this book is that feeling for like 190 pages yeah, yeah. it upsets me that there are people that never they, they don't have the um, ability to be introspective enough to like understand a book like this or feel what what's being described elitist no well i don't think it's an elitist there's <laughs> no i don't think no, so i think people there's people that don't have the emotional maturity they don't know themselves they don't you know you're right they th- you're right but i i think that i something that someone very dear to me said to me once was that you know there are there are different paths but there's also different sort of like checkpoints in life and and you might not be at the one that the rest of the people are at a given time. And somebody might hit that checkpoint at 80. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're emotionally stunted or immature to have not been able to understand written on the body yet. Right. So that's my pushback there is I'm not necessarily sure that they're not introspective. They're not thoughtful. There's just such a world of stuff that informs a person's person and, and their perspective that, there are so many walls that might exist to prevent them from being able to engage with this in the way that we have at 35, yeah. 34, and 72 been able to do. <laughs> Let me revise my statement. I'm going to ignore it. Let me revise my statement. <laughs> Crushing it today. Hey, he's, he's... I, I, th- I thank the Sicilian. I'd like to give a shout out. <laughs> Arcadia is 80 under 80. Yeah. <laughs> that's like everybody that's been in the MFA program. <laughs> I know. Or times like, why not me? Because he's 103. That's why. <laughs> I'm going to. He makes all the 80 work. under the 80 between the ages of 60 and 80. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to uh, have a nice tweet just to have a little shade at Arcadia. Um, anyway, moving on. <laughs> Let me revise my, my statement about someone not having... You don't have to. No, 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 because you've made me think, and I am from a... Uh, what did I say a couple casts ago? I'm from a... Um, uh, Octogenarian standpoint. Yes. There we are. <laughs> 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 um, it, it, uh, it makes me sad for people that haven't had the experiences or... The, f- yeah. the framework of life to allow them to um, be open to a love like such as being described in this book. There's right. plenty of people that are just like, man, I'm all about bitches or I'll never love or they're just not their conditioning has not allowed them the vulnerability to um, yeah. to feel to feel yeah. terrible. 
That is a <laughs> fantastic revision. You're a hell of an editor. Uh, that's good. Yeah, that vulnerability is the key to victory there, man, yeah. because you got to yep. you, you got to allow yourself it's the, to be it's killed the that, um, to live. Yeah. yeah. It's the thing that 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 people told me my entire life that I was too much of and, and, and it's this sort of sensitivity toward the, the world around you. You know what I mean? And and, and people said, "Ah, you're too sensitive. Get over yourself." No, I hurt. <laughs> And I, um, and I, and I like, I don't like to hurt, but it, I, I appreciate it. It, 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 it informs me. Is that why you drive around an ice cream truck playing REM? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This is why, this is why I said this stuff because I am too sensitive. And fuck you. I was having a moment. People. <laughs> well, that's the video for everybody hurts, right? Isn't he driving around? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> All right, let's... My final thought is that this is one of maybe two books that have entered my top 10 of things, of books in my life that have struck me uh, as profoundly. So yep. that's it. Fantastic final thought. Yeah. Well... From that, let's move into an album that we know has uh, profoundly struck the man who chose it, Daniel DeFranco. Jeff Buckley carries on a tradition of incredible vocal stylings, progressive musicianship, and untimely death. That's uh... much like his father, Tim. Yeah. Tim, was, Jeff. Tim actually was 27. He... Uh... Yeah. So Jeff did outlive his father. I guess he, uh, there you go. And, you know, there's this whole thing, and, and it's so unfortunate, but, like, there really is this whole thing of, like, when, and I find it more so in my cursory knowledge, uh, in, in fathers and sons than in daughters and mothers of, of subconsciously or consciously trying to follow that path. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you look through history and there's just so many examples. And unfortunately, I have a number of them that follow in my personal experience from, you know, friends and acquaintances and stuff like that, where, you know, um, sons just are following their fathers and they know it. And 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 they're still making the choices to meet that end. So in any case, let's jump into Jeff Buckley's grace. Daniel, take it away, my man. So, man, where to start? I've loved this album for, Christ, longer than it's been out. I'm that old. Fuck uh, off. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, for the, I still feel like Jeff Buckley is. Oh, I thought you were like, I had the fucking pre-release back in. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I didn't. Fucking 1993, <laughs> bruh. Came out in 94, by the way. No, I didn't um, actually get into Jeff like fully until probably 2000 2001 maybe so really that's surprising yeah he'd already like i knew of him because he because this would have came out when you were 14 first engaging with really music of your own you know i so i've always made that assumption i didn't realize that yeah so grace came out in 1994 um jeff i'll give a quick little background on jeff his father was tim buckley and uh tim was a an underground kind of folk singer in the late 60s, 70s. 
he kind of split yeah. out of Jeff's life. Jeff only met him, you know, a handful of times. It's sort of like the uh, John Lennon and um, uh, Julian, right? Yeah, Julian Lennon yeah, story. Julian, yeah, um, you know, right when Except Tim wasn't like a complete asshole, right? I mean, he abandoned his kid and kind of really didn't want to have much to do with him. Revision, revision, revision. Tim was like a complete asshole, right? <laughs> I guess. So, good revision, nice. <laughs> what I, what I do know is that as they were finally starting to, um, I guess connect a little bit more, Tim died of a heroin overdose at fucking at twenty seven. So fucking brutal. Jeff viewed his, you know, his. He wasn't even calling himself Jeff Buckley. He was calling himself Scotty Moore. Like that was his. His middle name was Scotty, and that's what he went by. And Moore or Moorhead, I, f- I have to look that up, was the... I think it's Moorhead. Moorhead I, think, I remember reading like that. Like, I was thinking of Elvis's um, guitar player, I guess, um, Scotty Moore. So Scotty Moorhead was like Jeff Buckley growing up, this kind of goofy guy. Like, a lot of his friends commented, like, oh, Jeff Buckley. Like, who's Jeff Buckley? You know, when you hang out with the guy, he was like the goofy Scotty Moorhead. Um, right. So but Jeff Buckley was his, you know, his stage, like, his coming out of that shell of Scotty Moorhead. Um, so in the early 90s, in like 1991, uh, there were some admirers and friends and fans of Tim Buckley, and they wanted to put together a tribute show to Tim Buckley in New York. And Jeff, by then, was already a musician. He had gone to um, Guitar Institute, Musicians Institute, out in, in uh, California, where he was born and uh, lived. And he's like, hey, man, let me get on that bill. And they're like, all right, sure, 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 sure. We'll, we'll, let, the, we'll let the guy's kid come out, you know? Um, yeah. It is crazy just to note, because people are probably, like, trying to do the numbers in their head. Like, Tim Buckley got married at 18. Yeah, he was, he was a kid. He's a child. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, why this, that's why this exists in this way. Just I, I felt like it needed mentioning, but continue. Yeah, yeah, no, he was a kid that had a kid. and the, you know, you, I don't think he abused his wife either, like John Lennon. No, you know. no, no. I think he just, as Christ, you know, you have a kid when you're 18 years old. Most. <laughs> I think as far as jerks go, Tim sounds like a pretty big jerk, but not like the biggest jerk. Yeah. 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 Continue. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. So he gets on the bill. And he shows up and people are like, like they're seeing a ghost because he's, he looks like Tim. He looks like him. Yeah. He's wearing, I think he maybe purposely like had an old jacket of Tim's or wore one that was like like one of Tim's and he gets up there and so there there's actually um audio of this uh, and some like old grainy footage and he gets up there and he sings like a goddamn like angel. an angel well, even more so he he sang a couple of songs <laughs> but he sang hallelujah no, he didn't sing hallelujah <laughs> he sang it's it's from an opera from Dido and Aeneas um Dido's lament and it is f- like they're like whoa what the fuck is this <laughs> you know <laughs> jesus so to make to speed this up jeff moves to new york and through the kind of connections of that and just working his ass off and just kind of honing his craft uh columbia slash sony um he gets their attention and he's just by himself he's just playing cafes and he is you know in One of the last of those classic sort of like major label artist stories, frankly. Yeah, they let him do. Yeah, I, I could. 
talk about this guy for forever, and we don't have we don't have forever. Um, no. So to speed it up even further, he gets a record deal. They don't really know what to do with him, but they wanted to capture what that magic was. So they recorded him. Um, if you ever want to get into it, listen to Live at Chenet. It's just him and his guitar in that coffee shop, and it is one of the most beautiful live recordings ever. Um, yeah, man. Fast forward. That that's. I feel like that's the thing that needs to be noted. Is this man, like we? I think really got into uh, Chris Cornell mm-hmm. quite a bit. You know, in a previous cast a couple ago. I mean, the dude has like a four octave range. It's incredible. Jeff Buckley. I don't know. I don't know what this dude can't do with his voice. His voice is a snake. It's it's crazy. Yeah. The control is out of control. There's nothing he can't do. And and that's why when Daniel's saying like and I always talk about the live albums and how live mm-hmm. performance this, that, and the third. If you're able to do what Jeff Buckley can do live, it is out of control. It's 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 transportive to see it, I bet. Like could you imagine seeing someone be able to produce the sounds that you're hearing on record? Especially with all the bullshit that clouds mm-hmm. where where we literally listen to things now and we go, Well, I bet that was doctored. Right. Or that was fucked with in some way. Whereas you see this purity in a fucking coffee house. Oh, so I mean it's 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 I, I couldn't even imagine listening to this. And it's why people still go see opera, mm-hmm. you know, for, for that reason. So I, 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 I don't mean to digress. But no, no, no. I, I, I put headphones on and listen to some tracks off of Live at Chenet. And fuck, it's like that's just a dude and, and, and his song, you know. Um, yeah. So they didn't know what to do with him, but they believed in him and that he was something really special. Everyone that I, I've read so many books and interviews about people that have met Jeff Buckley and um, – Everybody that uh, has met him, always they always say the same thing. It's like you always felt like you were the only person in the world that mattered when you were talking to him. And yeah. there was like just this, just one of those people that is just so fucking special. Um, yeah. So He's also an extraordinarily, you know, handsome dude. I, I mean, listen, it doesn't, doesn't, I mean, doesn't hurt. He's a good-looking guy. <laughs> That's no joke. Hurt. He's got the je ne sais quoi, and then and then there's and then there's that, yeah. and you're like, "Well, Jesus Christ!" Some guys, you know, some guys get all the luck. <laughs> <laughs> These things are like angels. So, so to to, to uh, point back to what you said, um, the record label, you would this wouldn't happen right now. They just put him up in a studio. They said, "Find a band," and. <laughs> Do a thing. Do whatever it is. And it took him six months, which is not crazy time. You know, it's actually kind of fast if you think about it. But for yeah. a guy that's untested, unlimited studio time, just kind of record everything. And you listen to like the outtakes from uh, the Gray Sessions. He literally, like, he recorded fucking everything. All the covers he did, songs that he wrote. He did, you know, maybe just an acoustic guitar and open tuning, and then maybe with a full rock band, like the same song. He'd try yeah. the same stuff and just put it through a prism and just present it to you in so many different new and unique ways, and they didn't really know what to do. Eventually, Grace came out. They had enough stuff, and it was, this is sort of coherent, although it's not. You've got a rocker on yeah. it. You've got 
a fucking Benjamin Britten song where it's just him. He's singing yeah. he's singing Lilac Wine. Like who the fuck sings Lilac Wine? <laughs> you know? Well, you know, um one of my favorites is the the cover of Alleluia. And I, I mean, I, I don't know that I've I've heard that done better frankly no this this is the best version of the song and everyone that does it afterwards is fooling themselves they need to i mean yeah <laughs> hate Col- <laughs> i've for real though they are i i mean you can't no one's disagree. no I one's mean, jesus no one's covering yeah. leonard cohen's hallelujah everybody is covering jeff buckley's jeff version Buckley. of hallelujah. and it's you can't <laughs> you you're just you're just fucking up the blueprint just stop <laughs> yeah for real i Dude, um, I'll say. Can, can I uh, interject? You, no, no. You, I I feel like I've talked too much, and I will. No, not I think that stop. was a fantastic. I think that was a fantastic foundation. Now people have a better idea too, because Jeff Buckley for me was a a dude who was a part of a particular sound. I actually didn't think that he was unique. I thought he was unique in his voice for sure. I thought he had something that very few people, the only person that I could equate him to was Chris Cornell in my experience because of what um, he was able to do. But when you listen to Grace, there's a number of songs that have... What's that number, Nick? I want to say six or five. It's a good number. It's like, it's, it's, it's at the 50% mark. That, like, fucking... I don't want to say whale, and I don't want to say our noise... He has these these bits in a lot of songs that are abrasive and 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 striking because and and, and the one that I, I made a special note of because it kept you know I listened to it over and over again and I was like, man, what is this thing that keeps drawing me in beyond his voice and and it's it's that and so I actually I, I noted the song so real at minute 230. Mm-hmm. there's this wild distortion and 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 just like, ear ripping noise that comes that comes through and then it's utter silence for like a four count and then he says and he just says i, I love, love you yeah, it's so great and, and i'm afraid to love you and 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 then it goes back to the to the melody and 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 you're like fuck dude like and he does that in different ways a few times throughout the album like i said at least 50 percent of the songs have some version of that kind of thing but it's not formulaic. They're not throwing it in to throw it in. It's just this is where the song leads them. He's a composer. It felt, yeah, it felt very much like this was something that was half thought out and half figured out mm-hmm. in the moment. Um, and to be perfectly honest, the 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 thing that that I despised about the time when this came out was the prevalence of this like elevator fusion Mm -hmm. that existed. And there's these, there's this coloring of fusion throughout the album because perhaps he's got studio musicians. Perhaps he's got, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know who he has. And I was going to ask you, Daniel, um, why it ended up like that. But there's, there is this like jazz rock fusion thing happening that was prevalent at the time. Um, but somehow he turns that into and elevates that to something that goes well beyond this like very oh god just just 
sifted sound. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that struck anybody, but I hated that in the 90s. I fucking hated that more than anything in the world. That just fusion. We're like, the drums are pingy and tight and, and, and the guitar is like a, a little bit twangy and every note possible is being hit at some point by one instrument or the other. And it's this, it's this just shit show of garbage. That to me was fusion. And somehow he's doing the rhythmic bit and there's a lot of technicality, but it's not fusion. Well, that's the thing that struck me first. I'd never listened to Jeff Buckley before I listened to this. And um, the first thing that struck me about this album is that it sounded like a 90s album. Yeah. Um, in, in very much the same way that you described. But it, from the first track, you're just like, yo, this guy's fucking killer on guitar. Yeah, He's dude. a fucking killer. And that's what got me past that thing that I'd be like, okay, it's a 90s record. Um, so... I think that's the way in was the musicianship for me first. And then you hear the guy sing and you're like, oh, God, oh, God, that will release your bowels. Yeah. See, I listen to this yeah. album. I, I, I don't I feel like if this came out now, it wouldn't. I think it would sound. We've circled back, though. Yeah. We have. We've circled back in a in 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 a in a weirdly and very real way. Like I listen to what, and of course I'm at a school where the the kids are all like adept musicians, right? Yeah. So like so 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 that that's the thing. That's the thing. I was um, a very good drummer at a young age so you would get pushed to play with these people who wanted to play this because this was fun to play for people who knew how to play right. do you know what i'm saying and 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 that was the thing like if you were good you played stuff that challenged you obviously but this was no fun for me to play because it was uh, oh god it just wasn't fun to, and i'm not talking about grace i'm talking about fusion yeah, yeah, yeah. and that kind of whole yeah. that whole 90s so, fusion scene what, when i when i hear grace like i I'm not feeling that fishbone vibe that I feel like you're getting. <laughs> yeah, dog. You, but here's the thing. Grace to me is is far more, and, and for it ended up being like super groups, Temple of the Dog, Mad Season, mm-hmm. stuff like that, where you have that 90s aura to it, um, but there's these standout singers and this general sort of like more heavy on the rock and experimentation than sitting on the laurels of look what we can do. Right. That's you know what it reminded me of? Um, and this is what struck me. Do you ever, you ever listen to Manic Street Preachers? I've heard that name. I, d- I have not listened. There's an album. Um, shit. <laughs> Gener- uh, Generation Terrorist, I think it's called. Generation Terrorist. And the, the twanginess of the clean guitar in this album is identical to the one in that because that album is oh, very no much more a rock album. But I was like, wow, this is a Manic Street Preacher sound. And I loved that album, but it was also like, wow, this is a 90s record. And I could tell. No, but there's, <laughs> you know? but there's not a lot of chorus. He just played a Telecaster. Right? It, there, there's not chorus on it. I'm not hearing any. Yeah, but I mean, you don't need a, a particular stomp box to be in the 90s. It's not like no, Flanders. No, you, do. you need a chorus you know. pedal. 
<laughs> Everybody's not the screaming trees. Come yeah. on. Um, so listening to the album, there are some parts that are so bare and minimal, but they seem so huge. Like Benjamin Britten's Chris, uh, Christy yeah. Corpus Carol. It's just him singing it. There's nothing else, but with a yep. with a shitload of vibe dial. There's a lot of vibe <laughs> dialing. But it sounds on that Corpus Christi Carol, <laughs> baby. It sounds like a full track. You know, it doesn't sound. It, yes, you're right. You're it right. It sounds like it belongs there. It sounds on purpose. It doesn't sound like a filler track. Even even though right. even though it might be a filler track, it doesn't sound like it's it. number eight. It's number eight, which is often a filler track, and it comes just one after Hallelujah. Yeah. You know, so like I think that. I mean, if you're if we're going back to a high fidelity, um, there's a lot of rules mm-hmm. to putting out an album, just as there is for a mixtape. I think that, uh, yeah, I I, I I would agree. It's a great placement for that song. Um, but in terms of would it stand on its own anywhere else in the track listing? Fuck it, dude. This this is this is like no holds bars. Yeah. This is this is. Uh, so I'm looking at the. This is wild I'm looking West. at the track listing right here because it, it's not. I you said number. I was like, no, your your numbers are off. I just needed to be certain. Um, it comes after. It's number eight. It's number eight. It is eight, but it comes after. That's what I said. It comes after Lover. You should have come over. Yeah, I said it's two after Hallelujah. Oh, did you? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. I can't remember. I have. I've had some beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you said okay. I am quite Sicilian. I, 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 I thought I said that. Perhaps no, maybe that you, you probably did, and one of us is going to look like a big fool right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, if it's going to be l- more me if I said it wrong, and I was literally looking at the track listing when I said it. But um, in any case, what do we think about this idea of having this, this fucking fantastic singer do whatever he wants I, I think have we seen that again mm-mm. you know no and i think it was a problem with with even jeff this album did not get received well um by the masses he was a live act like he was a european and japan live act. he was huge everywhere else except for uh the u.s no shit and um Sorry, let me get the Rolling Stone review up because it's scathing. It, well, it's actually it's not. It's a three out of five stars, which is interesting because it was critically uh, well received. Oh. Um, but a three out of five is not awesome. But the review is no. but the review is very positive. But the uh, first sentence is um, exactly what you're saying. Jeff Buckley sounds like a man who doesn't yet know what he wants to be. And his uncertainty is the very thing that holds Grace, his debut album, together. It's a ballsy kind of uncertainty, the kind oh. you find in star high school athletes who seem to have all the confidence in the world, even as they're straining to meet their own ever-increasing expectations. So, and it goes on and on. And they're not, Makes sense. They're not wrong. You get, yeah. you get a guy that can do anything, an artist yeah. that can do anything, and they've been doing everything and now you've got to package it so that's the the question right so like you have somebody like a stevie ray vaughn dude can hit every note possible right not vocally there's only there's only 12 notes lots of people can hit every note possible 
Okay. So like. <laughs> <ugh. laughs> yeah. Right. So what I was gonna say is, but Stevie Ray Vaughan. <laughs> I'm just picturing Nick on he, an he knows his. He knows. He knows <laughs> his, his package. Mm-hmm. He knows. He knows that he's operating in this particular genre and 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 space, right? And 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 whatever. Um, with somebody so obscenely talented. I just I feel like th- we we do them such a disservice by trying to say that you should be doing this. Th- like, how do you direct somebody like a Jeff Buckley to be all that they can fucking be? Like somehow David Bowie figured it out. Mm-hmm. Dude can do anything. And he did. Right. But somehow Jeff Buckley has all the skill in the world and yet never is able to to sort of like put that into something or do you just end up being like you're, you're meant to be a fucking vagabond you're meant to be a, a live act as you said and 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 and, and travel and, and be that his his manager and the folks that um you know produced and engineered the record grace said that he would never have done another grace he was he was a chameleon he was always changing and he probably would have been um and they were banking on him being like a legacy artist, like a Bob Dylan or Bruce Springsteen, someone that would just continue to evolve and mature. And their sound oh, would... Um, That's interesting. So I don't feel like record labels, like they, they do that anymore. They wouldn't... Yeah, man, they, they need to make a buck while they can because well, they don't, they're going under. Yeah, yeah, and they don't, want, um, they don't want difference. They want the same. They want to be able to put the same song out every three months by the same artist. Um, like that's just a well, the record like, industry is like, bizarre. Well, the record industry isn't bizarre. It's just like fucking every other industry. It's like fucking yeah, Disney. Know, right? Disney's fucking prepackaging and repackaging your nostalgia in a million different ways, and you're that's gonna true. buy back in every two months. You know, it's, that's true. It's, it's the it's the it's the same approach, and that's why it's it's very frustrating to think like, look at this talent, look at this potential. And, and and what are you going to do? Stymie it by saying, fit this mold now, fit this mold now. You got Prince. The dude has albums that we're going to get for the next 40 years because he said he knew they were ahead of their time. And he's going to give us what the next thing's going to be every year for the next 30 years. It's, 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 like, it's like, what do we... I don't know. It, it's just frustrating to think, like, you have Jeff. He puts out this thing... Like Nick said, it sounds like a 90s album because it's made during that time, but that's only because of what surrounded him. Yeah. When you look at, if you were to isolate right. just Jeff's parts, I don't think that you would think the same thing. So you mentioned Prince, and since we're talking about uh, the, the future of what his music would have been, the album he was working on, and this just points again to how much they believed in him, his next album, Sketches uh, to My Sweetheart, The Drunk, he recorded a whole album. Like, they paid for Whoa. it. They did the whole thing. And he was like, I don't really like this. And they said, all right, go do another one. Like, they didn't hold him to it. They just scrapped it. Damn. Um, so he went and did a bunch of demos for... Uh, um, did they ever release that album, Dan? Yeah, yeah. So he went and recorded a bunch of demos. And the day... He, I'm going to get off track now. Uh, the day he was meeting, his band was flying in to start rehearsing those demos that he had sent them. They were flying to Memphis. Is the day he died. He was on the way to the studio oh, to meet them, May 29th, ninety ninety seven. The day this cast comes out. Um, 
So he he had the whole second album and then this demo for a third, an ostensibly third album because they scrapped the second. Yeah. And were, both of them were released so can, eventually, like the demos of stuff? Yeah, well, if you buy sketches from My Sweetheart the Drunk, it's it's a double disc. And the first one is all of that, um, the master, like it's done. You get that album. Oh, how about that? But, you know, no Jeff Buckley stamp wow. on it. He was like, you know, that's not his, you know. Um, and then you get all the demos that he made, which are, you know, you've got to really hmm. want to listen to it, to listen to it. They're not, you know, they're not sonically uh, clean. Um but right, because there's no band. No, it's just him and his four track. So there are yeah. a couple of songs and dem- off of. Yeah, and demos are always difficult, like yeah. regardless of who it is. There's a song off of the first album that probably would have made it on to the, you know, full version of the second album. The song is called "Everybody Here Wants You." Listen to that. That is like a Prince song, and oh, really? Yeah. Like you could no you could shit. hear like ooh did Prince write this for Jeff Buckley? Uh, oh damn! <laughs> and it is about fucking. We're back to the sexy cast. Yeah, wait up, tie. There was the tie. Baby. Welcome back. Okay. Well, no, so so Grace for me and for a lot of people it it speaks to a thing that is like that's intangible. His guitar player in one of the Jeff Buckley documentaries said. Um, and and I've been guilty of, of this. He said, you would give grace to someone on a first date instead of flowers. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, that's exactly <laughs> what. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine you'd get an interesting look. Yeah, I mean. Uh, <laughs> it's like. What the fuck is this, sir? Just make, sh- <laughs> make sure you put them in water. <laughs> yeah. What do, you, what do you got? You, I see your eyes darting to the screen. What's on your mind? Oh, I was looking for everybody here wants you. I was just going to like it so I can listen to it. Noise. Um, hey, guys, can you guess which my which song is my favorite song uh, on Grace? Uh, so real. No, no, no. Eternal Life. Never mind. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so real was mine. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I think Grace, much like, um, I, I, much like written on the body, is one of those pieces of art that the more you engage with it, the more you get out of it. Mm-hmm. And and I I honestly had such an aversion to this type of music, um, and frankly, when I first. Um, when I first heard it, it was it was through a fucking, uh, what the hell? Um, I think I saw like a live performance that looked like it might as well have been filmed in like an empty soundstage, mm-hmm. of of, I think it's Grace, and I always thought, oh, he's a great singer, but like it's that '90s stuff, like that fusion stuff. To have to listen to the album and engage with it again. Blew my fucking dome off, dude. I, I I just to see somebody do what you can't do, especially which is for me sing, just blew my blew my fucking brain to pieces. Well, you're watching a master do something at the and I wonder I was gonna say at the height of their their ability, but 
Christ, this is probably not the height of his ability. He was probably only going to keep that's getting better. That's the better. shame, dude. That's yeah. the fucking wild part about it. Yeah. yeah. He was only going to mature and really find his like true voice because he was, like I said, he was a chameleon. He just cut. Co- he was a he was a coverman. He just did other people's songs. He would play better, way better. But he would do them in one key at this club, and then he'd finish that gig, and he'd go to another club that same night and do it in an open tuning and turn it into a ballad. He was just, dude. That's like the fucking when we were reading uh, uh, the essays on aesthetics, Tintoretto. Mm-hmm, exactly. Right. Just fucking. He is, he is Tintoretto. The, the cover that he is. Yeah. Right. He's just doing it. A thousand times better, but one wonders if given the chance, what you would produce if you were wholly you. And and he did have that choice. He produced Grace. There you go. Uh, Any final thoughts there, Nick? I'm very happy to have listened to this album. I I agree that I I need to engage with it more, but it was um, it's one of those things that you kind of regret that you missed if you missed it. Um, Yeah. So I'm glad to have been introduced and uh, I will listen further. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks. I know. I would have been 10 when this came out. And I really, I just think about, of the few things in 1994 and 1995 that would have been really transformative as like a budding musician, I feel like seeing this would have steered me to take singing way more seriously. Because mm-hmm. like you listen to to Soundgarden and stuff like that and you're like oh you can never do that but like because he was a live man to see him live and see that like this this isn't like a record because I always I used to think recording was just pure magic mm-hmm. you know and to see him actually be able to do that in a coffee shop or whatever the fuck he was going to perform in and to know that you had I, I don't know that I feel I feel like that would have been a life-changing thing he was a great guitar player too that gets overlooked because his voice is so I mean, outrageous. Yes. Well, the, the, like I like I said, the first thing I noticed was the guitar. Yeah. The first yeah. thing, yeah, and like that, that first guitar line is so great. And you're just like, ooh, that is tasty. <laughs> yeah, the song open, the album opens up with Grace, which is a it's a fucking excellent. I was reading a biography a couple of years ago called uh, "A Pure Drop," um, which I think Bono might have coined that talking about Jeff Buckley he said he was a pure drop in an ocean of something I forget um, it listed his Jeff Buckley's one of his last tours before he went to Memphis he wanted to get back to his kind of cafe days so he him and his manager they just drove to Boston and they just had a rented car and they just booked six nights down to DC and he didn't play under Jeff Buckley he just was Julio the puppet or like Grundlehammer or something. He had these really goofy names. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Um, and it was just him playing little shitty coffee shops. So in our neighborhood, Maniunk, there's a coffee shop that used to be, the building's still there. It's next to um, the Sparble case. It's where Smiley's used to be, Nick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Used to be. It, well, wasn't it? Um, it was Mugshots before that. Mugshots, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before that, it was something else I'm forgetting. And before that, it was this place called um, La Taza. And in 1996, December 1996, Jeff Buckley played La Taza. Oh, Jesus. And That's wow. fucking crazy. That was like my hangout. I was like always there. You get free refills of coffee, paninis. So I was like, fuck, maybe I saw him because I saw a lot of music there. 
And I wondered, like, would I have noticed? Would I have liked it as yeah. as a sixteen year old? I don't I don't know if I would have. But wow. I, I did the math. That's crazy. I went back and uh he was there on a Thursday night and I was like, Oh, I definitely didn't see him because Daniel in nineteen ninety six on Thursday was home watching Friends in Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> that's brutal yeah. oh, that's and, I, and i wish i didn't know that about myself because i could have always been like maybe i did see him you know perhaps i did well listen no but the I thing think is you get you a, know i you think you get a pass for seinfeld the friends thing is unfortunate yeah, yeah. i feel like you would have definitely remembered too i feel like and I, that's what i always tell myself had i seen him there's no way you would have known yeah 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 but absolutely, you guys, nicely done. You both shared a stage with him. He played the uh, the grape room. Oh, sick! One of his like first mm. tours. Uh, Scooter sent me a picture of him. Um, I guess last year. It was, it's awesome. Damn! Wow, that's really cool. That's fucking dope. The grape room. This guy. Wow. Yeah, it's, dude, you know how it is. Like your first album. Like who the fuck are you? You know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, dude. That's awesome. Well. Grace is uh, Grace is fantastic, and and out of that era, I think it is uh, one of the few that will continue to honestly fucking be listened to over and over again because it's worth digging into. Yeah. It's going to be mine for all it's worth. Yeah, uh, let's jump into some Absolutely. beers. Yeah, all right, let's jump in. Uh, Nick Gregorio, you are the man with the beer. So this cast, this is your contribution. Though it be a DeFranco choice, you, my friend, have superseded him in beer. <laughs> Levante Brewing from Westchester, Pennsylvania, and Tickle Parts. Yes, indeed. So Tickle Parts is a standard New England IPA, 7.1% IBU. Uh, excuse me, ABV. <laughs> I've had what? some beer. What? <laughs> um, it's, uh <laughs> you went it is, uh, <laughs> did you have 40 beers in under 40 minutes <laughs> it's 40 beers in 40 minutes, <laughs> folks. Beers 40 minutes. you'll have a real good time every it's day Arcadia, Arcadia University's 40 beers in 40 minutes that would actually, and I made it that's how he made the list <laughs> that would be a very fun cast <laughs> oh god so drunk it would not um, last 40 minutes mm-mm. no no. So this is a, a dry hopped uh, IPA with um, it's not hop forward at all. It's like it has a pillowy texture. Um, it is exceptionally delicious. I remember my buddy gave me a can of this stuff um, not six weeks ago. Just put it in a care package for me. So um, during the- a zoom call with my my wife's extended family i opened up a, a can of this stuff and i remember my face just going oh and almost <laughs> i almost cursed in front of her grandmother i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> um but i, I but everybody just assumed that she was giving you a handy underneath the screen <laughs> yes even the Uncle Al, um, <laughs> don't you don't you look you, you dog! S- you stop it, you dirty <laughs> dog! In any case, this is a New England IPA, I, so like, yeah, the the distinct. You could call it a hazy, but it's not. It's not titled a hazy, um, which is the um, the most. It's a the most prevalent style, the most popular style at present. But I is think that it's that past yeah, like two not, years that's been like the thing, right? 
And, and yep. not to be yep. a, a douche about it, but I feel like but the, I will. The, the, the big difference, I just <laughs> I'm going to use douchey language because it's what they use to describe this. But like the mouthfeel, right, yes. that like feathery, whatever yep. sort of mouthfeel is 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 the honestly the distinctive factor when we're talking about a New England. Is saying mouthfeel douchey? Yes. Yeah, I always thought so. Huh. Uh I, I don't I don't it, when someone says mouthfeel I don't like like hate them for it like when when people say resiny that's what the the other one that drives me nuts is resiny and I understand what resiny means I don't it's, that's a it's, I'm glad you brought that up let's yeah. let's discuss that for a second when I think of resiny mm-hmm. I think of smoking a glass pipe that has no weed in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm it like leaves get that, a and has hit. that like ring of, yeah, of I'm trying, shit around I'm it. trying to get a res hit. That's what it li- that's, that's what it gross. leaves in your mouth. That's the worst taste ever. So the resin is particularly thick IPAs. The resiny feeling is when it coats the mouth, and you have like a film of it. Yeah, that's and such a terrible uh, use of language, though. Because if anybody it's has not, smoked yeah. weed for a long time, you're going to go, oh, why would you want to make me think of a res hit? Because that's definitely universally the most <laughs> frowned upon fucking approach <laughs> to, to trying to get a hit. Like, that's that's gross. And it's um, it's it's like leaving coffee on a hot thing for a day and a half and then being no, like, that's good. No, man, that, that's just that's just. That's just a bunch of crapola. Still talking about <laughs> malts being burnt, baby. Still talking about the malts being burnt. <laughs> um, regardless, tickle parts is a is a is a terrific beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot what the name was. I totally forgot until you just said it. <laughs> You were being serious. Here. You weren't even trying to. No. Oh, and here God. you go. Here's some extra fun for you, Nick. They have <laughs> variants on tickle parts. So they have uh, extra tickle, which is a double dry hopped tickle parts. So they what's the tickle t- aspect? Is that the, the hopping? Oh, That's I don't know. I just tickle? think it's a name. I just okay. think it's a name. Okay. But um, if you're getting, if you're going extra on the tickle and the dry hop is then what's extra, wouldn't you say the tickle is. The dry hopping? Um, maybe. I don't know. Because it tickles your 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 senses. That's a, the dry hopping is what gives that, that effervescence into go. the nose. Well, here's a good one for you, Nick. Tickle parts firkin. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, that's a great use of language. Yeah, tickle parts firkin. Tickle parts merkin. Um <laughs> <laughs> brutal. <laughs> um Anyway, it's a it's a good beer. They got good beer over at Levante. Good beer, that's good. and that's also Levante. Good. Is that like the Moorish winds that blow across the Spanish plains? How could they be Moorish and Spanish simultaneously? Well, because the wind actually, believe wind it or not, origi- Danny, you might be right because there's a compass in their no, logo. No, I'm fucking right. The wind originates <laughs> where in 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 North Africa. Is gonna is gonna is gonna make it to Spain, dude? It's a fucking mile. You can see Africa from. Spain. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's a fucking mile. It's not a mile. Okay, we're not talking about the width of Manhattan here. We're talking about a continent to a continent. <laughs> no, nope. you dick. You can. L- but I I understand you what you're saying. You can see you can see Tangier from the tip of Tarifa. 
Can you? Yeah, really? and you can see Russia from Alaska. What a fucking idiot! <laughs> no, but you, you actually can. And uh, <laughs> you know, maybe with all your with all this is a world world traveler who uh, has has certainly, I think, spent. I've been to spent more time in Algiers than um, nothing Orlando. like that Hollywood elite. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to uh, forty countries before I was forty. Oh, you don't get an award for that. No, you don't. No. no you don't. I'll say this. I really want to drink that beer. It looks delicious. Hey, All right. So I am going to uh, introduce the rating system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I am going to give yep. Uh, yep. Um, Written on the Body by Jeanette Winterson 40 out of 40. um sleepless so the rating system is 40 out of 40 or it's 40 you know (laughs) sleepless nights due to heartbreak or fucking you don't know why the nights are sleepless oh yeah combination (laughs) could be who knows so hopefully uh written on the body gets 40 out of 40 sleepless nights due to heartbreak or fucking jeff buckley grace gets 40 out of 40 sleepless nights due to heartbreak or fucking and the beer naked all that coming sounds great so uh, I, I await your rating. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll give uh, written on the body. Uh, I give written on the body 40 out of 40 uh, sleepless nights due to heartbreaker fucking. That's that's it. Uh, good. OK, so if that's 40 out of 40, um, Jeff Buckley, I'm not 100 um, percent a Buckley fan. So I'm going to do a, a 35 out of 40. That's pretty good rating right there. So. I'm going to give written on the body definitely 40 out of 40. Is it like pieces of heartbreak due to fucking or heartbreak or what is it? Yeah, it's whichever one you prefer. It's but it's the the idea is the night is sleepless and it could be Yeah, the night is sleepless due to literally 50% fucking, 50% heartbreak okay. for sure. Right. For sure. Um Grace, I'm going to give a uh a 33 because a i love that number and b it just seems fitting because honestly the reservoir of talent has not been tapped on jeff buckley from listening to this album um and those of a certain age will will probably see the unfortunate influences that the musicians he surrounded himself with brought um and i just really um I wish I would have seen him live. And the beer, I'm going to go with whatever. I'm going to co-sign whatever frozen Nick in his Fortress of Solitude <laughs> he is frozen. said. He is so froze. This, is, this has been a fantastic cast. I thank you, Daniel, for picking the things you picked. It really enhanced my, my week, which was pretty <laughs> shitty. Okay, then. Uh, yes, thank you, Daniel. Um, so make sure to... <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it if you keep making the faces. Thank you for listening to this episode of Book Record Beer. We are on the interweb on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, on Twitter at bookrecordbeer, and on Instagram at book.record.beer. You're probably listening to this on SoundCloud. We are also on iTunes, so make sure you check that out when you can. Thanks very much. We will see you next month, ladies and gents. Thanks again.